Welcome once again to Advance, an NCEES podcast series. I'm your host, Davey McDowell, Chief Operating Officer at NCEES. My discussion today is with Vatsal Shaw. Vatsal is a Principal Engineer at ANS Geo Incorporated. They specialize in geotechnical, civil site land development, renewable energy, structural, environmental, and construction engineering. Vatsal has been nationally recognized by Engineering News Record as one of the top 20 under 40 for the New York metropolitan region, the American Society of Civil Engineers as the face of civil engineering, and as Young Engineer of the Year by the National Society of Professional Engineers in 2019. Vatsal is a third generation civil engineer alongside his father and great grandfather. He's an enthusiastic adjunct professor at both NYU Tandon School of Engineering and the New Jersey Institute of Technology. He's also a past president of the New Jersey Society of Professional Engineers and teaches PE and FE review courses in civil engineering across the United States. And if that isn't enough, he's licensed as a professional engineer in 44 states. Thank you, Vatsal, for joining us today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Sure. So happy to be on the podcast. My name is Vatsal Shaw. I'm a, a principal engineer at ANSGO. It's a, a family-owned firm that's that's headquartered in New Jersey, but with offices across the U.S. Really enjoy working as a civil engineer. I think the uh, the best part about working with ANSGO has been our tremendous growth from uh, from just a few employees back in 2020 to about 80 plus employees now. It really gives me a chance to to work with like-minded engineers and kind of grow our our profession. Uh, Vatsal, can you? Tell us a little bit about you personally, anything about your background, what got you into engineering, and anything fun about you. I went to the New Jersey Institute of Technology for my undergraduate in civil engineering, went for a master's in civil engineering. Um, I was a glutton for punishment, went back for a PhD for civil engineering. And uh, through all my years of experience, I became more of a geotechnical engineer uh, through all the work that I've been working on. Interesting about me, you know, I I really enjoy teaching. I enjoy uh, volunteering quite a bit. So while I was going through all those levels of school to become a civil engineer, I also worked full-time during that process. I, I volunteered with the National Society of Professional Engineers, American Society of Civil Engineers. I went back and became an adjunct because I became really passionate towards engineering, and it tends to be a big big part of my life. So tell me a little bit about the adjunct position. Is it is it back at NJIT or somewhere else? Yeah, it was at NJIT for about seven years. Uh, I recently moved away from New Jersey to start our family in, uh, in Columbus, Ohio. But for the years I was there, I was an adjunct for about seven years in the civil engineering department. I eventually kind of moved from there into the uh, Honors College as a faculty fellow and I did a short stint, uh, much to my alma mater's chagrin, um, at NYU, Tunton School of Engineering for about two years as well. So uh, you mentioned out the bat that after your your coursework, you've become more of a, a geotechnical engineer. Is that part of the coursework you were teaching or was it more like a uh, some like something in the capstone arena yeah my uh my favorite classes were two technical courses that I taught i did get a chance to do some other um environmental courses while i was there and civil engineers have to be able to design everything from a foundation to a to a high rise structure and everything in between so i had a chance to explore some other types of courses but my main course was foundation design forensic engineering and some more advanced topics in geotechnics. That's where my eyes really opened up and I really enjoyed the teaching. So you mentioned 
and so it's kind of like a nice little move into something a little different. You mentioned foundation design as kind of a, the geotechnical area. Is that what you primarily do now? And you know, what are you currently doing? Maybe describe some of the projects that you've got going on now. Sure. Yeah. So geotechnical engineers are well-versed in foundation design. That probably does take a good portion of my time from the technical perspective. We also end up doing a lot of work in slope stability evaluations, ground improvements, uh, pavement, underpinning and supportive excavation. So it's, it's one part of a larger life of a geotechnical engineer. As for the projects that I've worked on, they've been as varied from, you know, a small water wastewater treatment plant upgrade to as large as a uh, wind, wind farm park. So they've been from small foundations to large foundations and everything between. Does any project like just stand out to you? One like one that you're sitting there and you think, you know, I'm really glad I was part of that or one that just stands out. This was super interesting and super complex. And I really enjoyed the engineering side of that. Yeah, I think there was a, a good project in my past. It was for a large pipeline project in the middle of my career. Um, it was an interstate pipeline that spanned different New Jersey to Pennsylvania, two different areas. And it just had a lot of complexity to it. It had everything from directional drilling. It had large foundations for compressor stations. It had uh, karst and sinkholes that went through Pennsylvania's coal mines, New Jersey's uh, higher mountains and the Appalachian trails. So it was from a geotechnical perspective, it was just a lot. It was a huge program over a large area covering multiple states. And it really exposed me to all the different facets and kind of the interplay between geotechnical engineers and civil engineers, mechanical. I mean, all of them come together in the symphony of, of a large project that covers a very large area. So that was probably one that stuck out to me and really helped me in, uh, in my growth and my career. But as your favorite project, I mean, I think every project that I've, I've had has been, has taught me something. With geotechnical engineering, it's been one of those things where you don't really, uh, we don't make the materials like concrete and steel. We have to work with what we've got. So you're always kind of using your engineering brain to learn and to adapt. So I think every product that I've had has been a fun product from that perspective. You're, you're really, you're learning something new every day, especially in geotechnics and civil engineering. So, so you mentioned a couple of things to, when you were talking about the pipeline that, that kind of sparked a little interest of mine. Maybe sinkholes. In my mind, I also think of some mudslides. Have you ever been involved in forensic work on any of those kinds of uh, situations? Or was it always on the front end design where you're having to take some of those things into account? Yeah. If, if this is a video call, you'd, you'd see me smiling over here. We've been pulled in as a forensic expert in a couple of different sinkhole slides. And, you know, I, I can think of late evenings. I've gotten phone calls at two o'clock in the morning saying, hey, tomorrow morning, come out to site. We've had a slip and exposed the pipeline in, in a certain area. We had a lot of rain last night. So a lot of late nights, <clears throat> a lot of weekends worked on uh, on slips and forensic work. But, you know, that that really, that exercises you as an engineer the most. You know, when, when those things happen, you don't have all the resource and you're not planning with um, with a lot of time ahead of you. You have to be able to put the asset back into into operation. So you have to use the resource that you have, use local materials, try to balance cost effectiveness versus design uh, versus schedule. So that's, that's kind of the stuff that you really enjoy going through a challenge on. So as much as it was stressful when those things happen and they're high risk and high reward type of um, type of projects, they really are fulfilling because they stretch you. Yeah. So I can imagine, you know, the 
when when doing design work and getting ready on a daily basis, you know, you've got all of your information sitting around or, or you can gain the information. You've got computing power. You've got books that you can refer to, others you can refer to. And all of a sudden you get called in on something like this. And it is going to be more of um, uh, very much reactionary and not a whole lot of planning to get to that point, right? That's right. So what kind of goes into that? When one of those calls comes in, what's kind of going through your mind? Like, first, I need to do this. And second, I need to do this. And then third, I need to do this. Do you kind of have a hierarchy in your mind that you're like, this is where I got to go first to get to where I want to get at the end? There's probably two parts to how we solve that challenge. The first part is the technical challenge, right? And we learned that through our schooling and our training. Sometimes it's very black and white. You know, why is the soil failing? Why is this this slope moving? It could be water. It could be weight on top of it. It could be all sorts of internal, external factors. So that's that's the easier part, so to speak. The harder part is, um, is communicating and using your stakeholders around you. And I think that's how you solve those challenges, right? It's it's listening and taking input, whether you're working on a slope stability issue, you're working on a new bridge, you're working on a new park. It's listening to the folks who would be involved with you in solving that challenge. It's the contractor. What equipment do they have? What's safe for them to operate with? How can they get up there? How is it built? What do they see? You're almost kind of talking to them, picking their brain as to what would work, what's compatible, and then trying to find what technical solutions you have from your toolbox to be able to fit you know, all those small little puzzle pieces that, that make this larger picture. So I think that's how we end up solving some of these challenging projects. It's really being a good listener and, and working with your stakeholders. So much of what I, I think you were, uh, you were talking about just then does really lead us into uh, why NCWS exists and why we kind of do a podcast on occasion is, is professional engineering licensure because we talk about licensure for engineering uh, and, and the other uh, occupations as well as being the protection of the health, safety, and welfare of the public. And what you've just described to me kind of fits right into that realm of being a professional engineer. So kind of tell me a little bit about your journey towards becoming a professional engineer what it's meant to you, and then maybe how it kind of relates to some of the projects that you've worked on, especially the ones that you just mentioned from a forensic kind of point of view. Sure. So my, my journey to professional licensure, um, I was lucky to have role models. And I was lucky to have a good system that allowed me to get to that and recognize that it was important to me. My father, he's a civil engineer also. He got his professional license back in the um, early 1990s. And he, throughout my entire career and even through college, you know, would always emphasize that you'll be the one that's responsible for this work. You know, you have to make sure that you follow the standards, that you follow good ethical guidelines. You're looking after health and safety and environment. But most importantly, it's, it's something that you can be proud of and that someone, something that no one will ever take away from you. So that to me was kind of the beacon for becoming a professional engineer. It's something that was mine, something that I felt responsible for. It made it a career for me and not a job. I wanted to invest into it because it, it had such a, a heavy weight to it for me. And I, th I think as you become more of a senior uh, engineer and you, you kind of invest in your career, you find that the PE actually ends up having a, a pretty substantial impact on your, on your direction forward. You know, those two letters afterward, it holds a sense of responsibility for you. So, you know, when we're, when we're making these decisions, whether it's a forensic evaluation or you're doing a new site development design or you're building a new piece for a, a larger factory, and you're, you know, you're working in different aspects of engineering. I think that that, that PE 
in the back of your mind, whether you see after your name, really helps you um, understand the responsibility. What what got you into civil engineering? The most important piece was, you know, my father owned his own company when I was younger, and it was a material testing company called ANS Consultants in New Jersey, and it was great. You know, I was I was dealing with uh, with engineering when I was eight, nine, ten years old. You know, during summers and and days off, my playground was my dad's office. Right, I, I was looking over what was happening in the lab. I was looking over the shoulders of engineers in the field. As soon as I was able to work in high school, I was, you know, hitching a ride with some of the engineers and going out to see sites being built, watching piles go in the ground and watching things being constructed. So I think being exposed to engineering at an early stage really puts you on a path to, um, to enjoying this field and also puts you on a path to really succeeding in it too. I was lucky to have had role models and mentors, even just people in my circle that did it, that spoke about it in the background and you know, you're almost incepted into uh, how great engineering can be and how much of an impact it has around you. And you see how fulfilled they are too. You know, my, my relatives, my, my dad, I've never had him come home and say, wow, it's really a challenging day. I don't enjoy it. I think every person that I've known who's in the engineering field has always said, wow, it's been quite a challenge, but wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It's just so, it's so enjoyable. It's so variable. It impacts so many people. The sense of fulfillment was, uh, was incredible. So seeing that from an early age, really wanted me to become an engineer and succeed in that, that realm myself. Um, do you do anything kind of in the K through 12 arena for trying to encourage, you know, maybe some, some of the younger folks to go into engineering or into a STEM field? Yeah, absolutely. I've been part of an organization called Math Counts for close to 14 years now as one of their state coordinators for New Jersey. It's a program that helps to, to bring in, um, you know, grade, grade five through eight students into knowing that a STEM field is possible for them. And I, I think that growing up, engineering had a certain stigma to it, a certain definition to it. You know, you can kind of picture the, the Dilbert typical engineer you see from the comic strips, you know, how he was and how he acted. And, and that may have been a disservice for some engineers. I'm really happy to see the diversity of individuals we have in engineering, the diversity of thought that we have growing in too, because it really makes it more approachable for a lot of the younger students who are coming in, a lot of the younger um, children were coming through. So I think that's, that's great. And also, like you mentioned, once you expose them to what a career in engineering actually looks like, it removes some of the perceptions of what they may have heard or they may have seen. They can enjoy that. They, this hobby of mine actually is more of a career for me. I can actually enjoy this type of uh, career field for us. So I've been with math counts for a while. I've done a lot of high school and middle school outreach. Uh, whenever I get a chance, I'm always speaking the gospel of engineering because I just think it's a great profession. And I don't think we get enough visibility. And once you uh, once you learn the secret of what it's all about, I think a lot of people have a hard time going back. They just really they really enjoy the field and want to keep moving forward into it. Couldn't agree more. We also have that group of of engineers that come along, let's say recent graduates, and and you talked a little bit about your mentors. I also think it's very important not only to expose children of younger ages to engineering to kind of get them, but you also have this group of recent graduates who you've got to mentor. I'm assuming, considering uh, your experience and and the role that you have as a principal engineer, you've had to mentor a lot of new graduates, so to speak. Is that true? That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. One of the, the biggest things I'm proud of is ANSGO, my principal engineer with them now. We grew from about three staff in December 2020 to about 80 plus uh, 
um, as of now. So about two and a half years, we've grown tremendously. And I think that's a function of just being a good leader and being a good mentor. You know, you have a lot of younger staff coming in. You've had a lot of uh, folks that haven't really had the exposure and experience to it, giving them the ability to learn, but also giving them the the, the backstop of, hey, you know, if anything goes wrong, we're here for you. That's really made us flourish and grow for our younger staff, for our more senior staff. I think it makes all the difference. So mentors to me, in my mind, are those that end up being kind of a support system. It could be a support system, you know, mentally. It could be a support system uh, in, in just the way that you approach risk. But if they feel supported and they feel like they everything is a learning moment for them, they continue growing in their careers pretty quickly. And when they make a mistake, you know, whether it ends up becoming a financial mistake in, in, in business, which happens sometimes, or ends up becoming a professional mistake, I call it tuition. You know, we went to school and we paid our, our tuition to learn how to become an engineer and go through all our years of schooling. That's a tuition that we pay to learn. We hope we don't have to keep paying that tuition over and over again and retake that course. But um, when, you, when you frame it from the perspective of how can we be there for them to help them learn in the same way they've learned in the past, that to me is what really being a mentor is all about is putting opportunities in front of them to give them the space to learn. Absolutely think that that is super important, especially that group of engineers, as you talked about, that are starting on their pathway, potentially and probably towards professional engineering licensures, especially if they are in the the civil engineering kind of arena. Do you have any other advice for, say, young professionals as they are getting ready to potentially become licensed as a professional engineer? Yeah, I, I think it's being comfortable, being uncomfortable, really. it's That's my motto. It's just try to learn new experiences, ask around for help. You know, for those, civil engineering is, is one of the most sought after and, and exam taken P licenses. So, you know, a lot of it, civil engineers go for that license. That's pretty easy. But if you're an unconventional, if you're going agricultural route or electrical engineering or aeronautical, you know, one of the many P licenses that are available that not many sometimes go for. If you're a young engineer going to that space, you may not have a lot of peers that have gone into it, but you can ask around for help. There are people who have done it in the past. Don't feel shy. We have such a connected community now. Don't feel shy going on LinkedIn, see if you can find someone who's done an um, aeronautical P license, who's done a mechanical P license. Hey, where did you get your books from? How would you end up going through? You'll tend to find that most engineers um, love paying it back. You know, nothing makes us happier than than sitting down and talking to a younger engineer and, and sharing our wisdom to them. I can't can't think of a single engineer that I've met that hasn't enjoyed, hasn't put a smile on their face, uh, trying to help train another uh, individual. But you know, always ask for help if you don't know the answer. The best part about being early in your career is no one ever faults you for asking questions. So ask as many questions as you can. Use your resources. Ask around, and um, I think that really will help them flourish in, in their licensure path, they help them flourish as a young engineer and an emerging career professional. How many states are you licensed in? Or is it one of these things where you're licensed in a few in the Northeast or do you it kind of expand across the country? I'm licensed in 44 states at the moment and I'm sure I'll get to 48, 49 at some point in the near future. I consider my, my PE license and multi-state licensure like my passport. You know, it, it's, it allows me to travel freely between states because every state, I mean, that's what it is. It's the United States of America. Everything has their own, uh, the rules and their guidance. It's important to be aware of that and understand it. But once you you respect the rules and the requirements for each of those states, you know, for geotechnical engineers, 
it's incredible. I love being licensed in different states because every state has its own different geology. They have their own different challenges. They have their own local uh, ways of doing construction. So it's it's really been enjoyably licensed in all those different states. And it's kept my career fresh. You know, if I've worked in the, the tri-state area for a good number of years, but being able to work in outside those areas and different areas that I wasn't licensed in and then getting licensed in them, it allowed me to continue learning more about my profession. I thought I knew everything about geotechnics in the East Coast. And then I went to Texas to learn about expansive clays. I went uh, up to the North and learn about adfreeze and, and frost and permafrost type of soils. Went to the West and learn about uh, seismic concerns. So, you know, having that multi-state licensure, like a passport really helped me kind of travel and live in different states and understand uh, different different geotechnical environments for us. So that's been, it's been a godsend for me. So it sounds like you you do a decent amount of traveling and have done projects in a number of different states. Is that uh, is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, that's correct. ANS Geo has um, has seven different offices across the U.S. So that by itself helps us travel and work in different uh, localities. But we also do some types of work which is renewable energy, which is we are agnostic. It covers all of the U.S. You know, whether it's a farm field in Nebraska or a, a wind farm up in New York State. It really allows us to to see different environments. Out of again, out of curiosity, when you talk about a wind farm, how many acres are we talking about? When you say when you're talking about doing the foundational work for something like that, uh, a wind farm, thousands, depending on how large it is, right? If it's a if it's a smaller wind farm, it could be twenty or thirty turbines. If it's a large one, we've we've worked on wind farm projects that were four hundred wind turbines, you know, over one gigawatt worth of of a generation and it's tens of thousands. It could be up to a hundred thousand acres. You don't always develop and build them, but that large of an area, the soils change, the geology changes, the topography changes. So for, for us as engineers and civil engineers, particularly that large of an area has so many different challenges to it. Uh, and I'm trying to imagine you, not only do you have the different geotechnical types of issues, but you also have uh, slope and, uh, landforms and topography. And, and then I, I would guess on a, on a project like that, you're having to work with the other disciplines besides just civil engineers. In your experience, how important is it that as an engineer, you're able to understand some of the other disciplines of engineering so that it all works together in a, in kind of a teamwork fashion? I think it's, it's, Probably the most important part of my growth has been um, collaborating with other types of engineers. The reason why I love renewable energy so much is this has been a certain type of work that I've been able to interact with mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, um, chemical engineers, all different types. And uh, it, it almost kind of forces you to learn different lingo. Uh, I was I was doing work for a solar farm project and you, know, you bury cables in the ground that carry electricity. Those cables get hot. How will they shed heat? That's a soil issue. You know, how will it maintain the, um, the electricity that goes through it? That's electrical issue. How deep will it be buried? You know, what's the cut in the fills and the compaction? Like that's a civil issue. A lot of these pieces all kind of come together. So it really has allowed me to, to talk to different types of engineers and, and learn different parts of it. I went to school for civil engineering, but I de facto learned uh, substations. I learned electrical engineering and mechanical engineering and, and torsion and bodies in motion just by having that curiosity that an engineer gains from being in school, right? We didn't come out of school an engineer. We came out of school with an engineering degree. We just kind of learned how to think like an engineer. 
and that allows you to kind of grow and, and learn new concepts outside your chosen realm. Lotzel, as we, as we kind of come to the end of our talk here, is there anything that you would like to share related to your career, related to some of the projects you've worked on, anything you'd like to just share with our listening audience that you feel is, is super important? You know, I've been asked by many folks, so why am I so passionate about what I do or how have I been able to achieve what I've achieved so far? And I think the answer has been pretty simple. I mean, aside from really enjoying what I do, I see life come together in kind of three things. It's almost like a stool where you can't really, can't have a safe balance of having all three things in balance. You know, one is obviously the most important, which is family and friends and, and a good home life. The second is, is having a very strong profession that you feel confident and energized by. And the third is, is community, participating community. And that's why I really enjoy these conversations because it gives me an avenue and a platform to kind of share how important it is for us to, to pay it forward, how important it is for us to encourage the younger and emerging classes of engineers to, to look for licensure, but to look at it as a profession for us. It's something that I really enjoy doing. And you'll find, like I said before, most engineers really like giving back. This field is all about giving back and you know, no amount of, of compensation, financial, no amount of additional work and responsibilities in any other profession kind of feels the same way as engineering does. You, you have such a sense of fulfillment here and I really enjoy that. So I, I think that's, uh, that's an important piece for me to share. That's a, a, an important takeaway for anyone who's looking at licensure or looking at engineering or even encouraging those around them. Thank you again to Vatsal for joining us on the podcast today. It was a pleasure to talk with him, and we appreciate everything he is doing to not only help protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public, but also mentor the next generation of engineers. For all of our listeners out there, please take a minute to leave us a review. This simple action can help others, like yourself, find and share this podcast. 